and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on the 9th of November and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News. I'm Phil, and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer. Well, that's a bit of a downbeat description of our electronic wizard. Um, copying an admin by Carol Hartle and her team. And today's readers are Catherine and Jane. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories. Then a selection of general news stories, some sport, and finishing up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Jane is going to read out for us. And that starts with one that we've just heard. Colin Chance House, 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA, 01905 767-766. Listeners should be aware that this is not manned daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police, non-emergency, 101. NHS Direct, 111. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 111. Worcester Hub, 01905 765-765. Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905-768053, option 3. Community Risk Team Fire Safety, 0800-032-1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800-980-3331. Sense Adventures, Walking for the Visually Impaired, D. Jones, 01684891297 or 07920144614 and www.senseadventures.co.uk Samaritans, 116123.0 Worcester Live, 01905 611427. Morven Theatres, 01684892277. Scams and Nuisance Phone Calls, dial 1572, listen to the instruction, press 1 and listen again. Press 1 again to delete. Thank you, Jane. And now a summary of what's on locally. I've had a good look round. Some of these are fairly soon, and some of them are really dates for your diary, so I hope there's something in here that you like the sound of. 
Uh, in Malvern on Saturday, that's Saturday the 11th of November, there's Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club. That's on at 7.45. And on Sunday the 12th, the Chandos Symphony Orchestra will be playing Mozart and Strauss in the Forum starting at 3 o'clock. At Huntingdon Hall on the 16th, a week Thursday, some harp and violin music. We're promised classical and traditional. That's at 7.30. The English Symphony Orchestra is playing in the Guildhall on the 23rd of this month at 7.30 and it features a South African violinist called Zoe Byers and she'll be playing some Shostakovich. She'll be playing some other things as well, but I can't pronounce those. 21st of November in Worcester Cathedral, the G4 Crispus, the G4 for male singers, and the advertisement says that they provide some sumptuous harmonies, so that sounds good, and it's at 7.30. In the Coach House, Malvern, between the 7th of November, which I know was the other day, and 11th, 7.30 until the 11th, which is at 2.30, and it's called Nay Remember Me. It's a play... Um, based on the true story of the making of Shakespeare's first folio, which sounds a bit niche, but it's had some good reports. On November the 18th, it's Archaeology Day at the Hive, and if you can't get along there, there will be a a recording of the talks available if you ring 01905 766352. Big names in the folk music world, Eliza Carthy and John Bowden, will be at Huntington Hall on the 22nd with a wassail evening. So there's, I hope there's something in there you like the sound of. Catherine has this week's headlines. Thank you. Uh, the headline last Friday, that's the 3rd of November, is Hero Workers to the Rescue, Trio Free Youngsters Trapped in Car. On Saturday, the headline was Rat Infested, Couple say giant rodents are running around their home. On Monday the 6th of November, it was Gull Control Cash is set to be slashed. And Tuesday's headline was Tributes are paid at Farewell to Chick, a celebration of the life of an ex-city pub landlord. Wednesday's headline was Loophole Hits City Taxi Trade. And today's headline, Thursday the 9th of November, I'll crack down on burglars. Police pledge after spate of offences. This is from Saturday, and this is about the rats. A disgusted couple with giant rats running around their home for the last year fear their housing association is not getting rid of the vermin. Malcolm Cutler and Pam Cutler of Rydal Close in Warnden are at their wits' end as eight large rats have plagued their home over the last year. However, they say their pleas for help are going unanswered by platform housing. Mr Cutler is worried the rat infestation will lead to the couple catching a disease which has made him increasingly anxious ever since his wife came home from hospital. He said it's not fair at all that we have to live like this. It could end up with us catching a disease because the rats are so unhygienic. My wife has just come out of hospital with pneumonia, arthritis and other illnesses and to have this happening around us is awful. We've asked for help multiple times but have never received any. Inspectors have been here and have seen it for themselves and yet still nothing. 
As well as the rats, Mr Cutler said the central heating in the household broke earlier this year and has not yet been repaired. He said, I've got to get an electric fire to heat the house up because we're freezing. When I last inquired about it, when somebody was coming to fix it and we're told that it wouldn't be until the end of November. That's no good at all for us because it's already getting cold and we cannot be without heating. We've tried asking for help so many times now that I just do not know what to do. Platform Housing apologised to Mr and Mrs Cutler for the rats and the heating issues. A spokesperson said, We are sorry to hear of our customers' issues and will work with them to get things resolved. We've appointed a surveyor to visit the property today, Friday, November the 3rd, to assess the heating work that was completed recently and determine what action can be taken regarding the issue of rats. One of our neighbourhood officers will also be visiting to offer any further help and support they may require. Friday's newspaper brought us hero workers to the rescue. Trio free youngsters trapped in car. A terrified child and baby trapped in a car were rescued by a trio of quick-thinking workmen. Matthew Davis, Anthony Bateman and Tomasz Zdanowicz from House Installations downed tools and rushed to the youngsters' aid while working at a home off Bromyard Road in St John's. A young boy had accidentally locked himself and his baby sibling in the car with the keys, causing a lot of distress to the mother. The three men thought on their feet duct-taped the back window so that they could smash it with a lump hammer, minimising the glass debris and allowing the children to safely get out of the car. Fortunately, the two children were unscathed in the incident and were quickly reunited with their mother. Edward Healy of House Installations said the business is incredibly proud of its staff's clever thinking in rescuing the children on Monday. He said, We're incredibly proud of the guys for being able to help this family and safely rescue the boys. One of our owners is a firefighter and commended their efforts and technique to safely rescue the children. We pride ourselves on being a family-run local business with a strong emphasis on community and staff members like these are a credit to us. The mother of the two children messaged the business on social media later in the day to thank the three men and also arranged to bring them gifts the next day. She brought them cans of alcohol and sweet treats to show her gratitude. Mr Healy said, The mother of the children had so many kind words to say about our local heroes and even took time out of her day to drop off some Strongbow, I'm sure other ciders are available, and donuts to show her appreciation. It was a really lovely gesture and I'm sure that the guys appreciated it. Their heroic action has won praise from the company's customers, with one saying, Well done lads, class act. Others said, Well done guys, you are amazing. And top effort team. House Installations is a specialist installer of all UPVC and aluminium products based in Worcester and covering the greater West Midlands region. On Monday, the headline was about gulls in the city. The budget for tackling the city's gull problem will be slashed by half next year. Worcester City Council has revealed it's planning to spend £35,000 on gull control in the next 12 months because of its financial problems, half of what was spent this year. Council has agreed to double the budget to £70,000 for the last 12 months, but with funds tight, the council said it will be returning to its base £35,000 budget next year.
Councillor Alan Amos said the move was scandalous and showed the City Council was not taking the problem seriously. This council has no commitment whatsoever to the eradication of gulls in the city. They clearly think the noise, the nuisance and the disturbance from these gulls are far more important than the people they affect. People have woken up early from screeching, cars and houses are covered in mess and they're a danger. We have more than ever before and they're not coming and going, they're staying here permanently. It's an endemic problem made worse by inaction. The problem is going to get out of control. The council also spent £75,000 in 2022 after an extra £40,000 was agreed to be handed over during budget setting. The worst affected areas have been the Tithing, the High Street, Copenhagen Street and Fish Street in the city centre, as well as areas in Diglis and Lower Wick. The council said it removed 137 nests, 255 eggs and 17 chicks this year, compared to 136 nests, 242 eggs and 6 chicks in 2022. The council has tried several methods over the years, including swapping real eggs with dummy eggs, helping businesses to gold-proof roofs and chimneys using a cherry picker, as well as removing nests, eggs and chicks. The council has also used a hawk to deter gulls from loitering in Cathedral Square and other parts of the city centre. To be able to remove nests, eggs and chicks, the council has to apply for a licence from Natural England, as all wild birds are protected under the Wildlife and Countryside Act 1981. The City Council's Environment Committee will also be discussing plans to spend £4,700 on another gull population survey to find out how many gulls are in the city, information that can be used for comparisons with previous years and as evidence in applying for a licence from Natural England. The Environment Committee meets from the 7pm in the Guildhall on November the 7th. So that was just Tuesday, just gone. And this is about the tributes paid at the farewell to a much-loved and well-respected Worcester man who was at home on the golf course and running city pubs, and he was celebrated in style after he fought a long and brave battle against cancer. David Chick Smith lived up to his motto, Finish high and see it fly. After losing his courageous battle against cancer on September the 30th at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester, more than a hundred close friends and family attended the celebration of his life, held in lieu of a funeral in accordance with his wishes, at Worcester Golf and Country Club on Saturday, between 11:30 a.m. and 2 p.m. It was a day described both as both beautiful and challenging by those close family and friends who attended to pay their respects. The 82-year-old of Lower Wick in Worcester ran several city pubs including the Bell, the Maple Leaf and the Copper Tops and was also known for his passion for golf where he was known as the best putter in the golf club. He also ran the White Steamer party boats. A spokesperson for his family delivered a tribute to Mr Smith, described as a fighter and larger-than-life character, who continued playing golf four or five times a week, even after his diagnosis. He was also known for his work helping to coach juniors at the club and putting his distinctive horse-head logo on anything he sent in the post. 
he battled cancer twice and was diagnosed a second time three and a half years ago, playing his last game in July. Chick had 11 holes in one over his lifetime and the last one scored when he was aged 81, proof that he never lost his touch. A spokesperson on behalf of his family said at the celebration he was a man who lived the life full of stories, played a lot of golf and had the cleanest beer pipes Worcester ever did see. For almost five decades, he graced the fairways of this golf course with his presence and it is fitting that we're here to honour him at the place he loved so dearly. Golf was not just a game to him, it was a canvas on which he painted the tapestry of his life one swing at a time. Some of you will know him from his early days at Barrow's News and some will know him from his later years at Royal Mail but perhaps most of you will know him as one of Worcester's leading pub landlords, respected and much-loved from the 70s to the 2000s. The beehive to the bell, the copper tops to the maple leaf, and who can forget the fun times aboard the white steamer party boats, the seven traveller and the pride of the Midlands. He brought people together, creating memories and shared in the joys of life celebrations. But more than his work, he was known and respected, a name that everyone recognised. He lived by the simple and profound philosophy, not just in golf but in life, finish high and see it fly. He understood that life's true essence lies in savouring every moment, giving it your all and then watching your efforts soar. He's showed us all in the last few years that even a terminal diagnosis couldn't keep him off the golf course. His enduring optimism, unwavering resilience and the unrenting, unrelenting desire to still be the, bus put, the best putter in the club were truly remarkable, a friend and inspiration to all. His family and close friends have also thanked everyone who joined Chick's celebration of life on Saturday and to those who sent their condolences but couldn't attend. Wednesday's newspaper, Loophole Hits City Taxi Trade, out-of-town cars slashing cabbies' income. Taxi drivers say loopholes that allow out-of-town cabs to pick up fares in Worcester have slashed trade by half. The huge gap in the cost of a licence between different councils and changes to the law which allow taxi drivers to ply their trade anywhere in the country means more taxis from outside the city are picking up fares. Drivers said the influx of taxis was disrupting business and the rise of private hire cabs trading in Worcester but licensed by councils away from the city has led one councillor to issue a warning that anyone caught, quote, conning the public would be prosecuted. Only hackney cabs are allowed to pick up passengers from ranks. Worcester City Council controls the number of licences given out, but there are claims that private hire vehicles from other areas are using city ranks illegally. The city driver Ghalib Hussein said the influx of taxis from outside of Worcester, including Wolverhampton and Witchhaven, had halved his trade to fewer than 10 trips a day. They get more trade than we do because they can go all over the place, he said. It's affecting my trade by at least 50%. It's affecting the people who work at night even more. Sabir Hussein, who claimed to be the city's oldest taxi driver, said, It's really affecting me. I work here, so I think that it should be my trade and they are taking it away. It's wrong. 
Private hire cars must be booked in advance and can't be flagged down, unlike hackney cabs which can be hailed. There are concerns that taxis licensed by outside authorities are not to the same standard as those in Worcester. Worcester City Council charges £390 to register as a new private hire driver and £330 to renew, whereas the fee in Wolverhampton is just £95 for a one-year licence. Another taxi driver, Shakat Hussein, 51 from Arboretum, said Uber paved the way for this paved the way for this sort of thing, and they take private hires from anywhere and place them anywhere. The more cars that are coming in, the more restricted we are. Worcester's tests are pretty rigorous, so people are going elsewhere, places like Witchhaven and Wolverhampton, to get their licence and then coming back to Worcester. Little by little it is affecting our livelihood. I can't blame the drivers, it's the system. Councillor Richard Udall, chair of the Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee, said out-of-town taxi drivers did not hold the same standards as those licensed in Worcester. These drivers haven't passed our stringent tests and don't have local knowledge. If residents use them as a taxi, they may not be insured, and they are operating illegally and should not be used, he said. They're taking advantage of the public confusion about the difference between a private hire car and a taxi. Many people don't understand the difference, especially late at night. They are conning the public and don't comply to our rules. If we catch them, we will prosecute. There are believed to be just over 36,000 private hire drivers with a Wolverhampton plate, equivalent to about 13% of the city's entire population, leading it to be dubbed the taxi licence capital of England. Wolverhampton City Council denied it had acted improperly by licensing large numbers of cab drivers who operate in other areas. A spokesperson for the council said, while we have never actively encouraged applications from drivers outside the city, existing legislation requires that if an application is submitted and requirements are met, then the application must be granted. The council may not refuse an applicant simply because they live in a different area. Applicants are usually local to the area they drive in, but many have chosen to be licensed in Wolverhampton due to our efficient yet rigorous licensing process. Right, today's headline um, is I'll crack down on burglars. Police have promised a crackdown on burglars following a spate of offences in the area. D.I. Dave Knight of Proactive CID said there were 27 ongoing burglary cases in South Worcestershire going through, going through the courts, while 77 further burglary investigations are now underway. Our sole role is to bring burglars to justice, he said. The charges we have relate to hard work by different departments within policing, including uniformed patrols. I hope the results give an indication of how seriously we take burglaries in South Worcestershire. OK, anyway, let's move on to the general news stories and we'll start with one that uh, may be the last word on quite a long-running saga about whether uh, ticket offices are going to be closed on railway stations or not. We'll see, won't we? Rail ticket reactions, it's headed anyway, and it's from Friday's newspaper. The government's U-turn on scrapping railway ticket offices has been met with celebrations and a sprinkling of sarcasm in Worcester. Worcester News readers have been reacting to news that the planned closure of the rail ticket office at a city station has been scrapped. Scheduled for closure were hundreds of ticket offices, including Worcestershire Hill, Malvern Link, Great Malvern Railway Stations and Evesham. 
However, the government announced their change of plans on October the 31st, following heavy opposition from the public. The plans have been met with widespread criticism, and Worcester MP Robin Walker said a number of residents had contacted him with their concerns. A lot of groups, including blind groups, have raised it, Mr Walker said. There has been a large strength of feeling from constituents about this issue, particularly elderly people. More people are using online, but people accept that providing an office is part of the service. I welcome the change. One Worcester news reader commented on Facebook, Now will everyone please buy their tickets via their ticket office? That's in capital letters, so I raised my voice a bit to convey that. Another pointed out the government's initial intention, stating, That's great, but don't forget they tried to do it in the first place, and it was protest that got the U-turn. In a similar vein, another commented, This was part of the strikes, as the government want to get rid of manned ticket offices and platforms, so a U-turn to make us think they're okay. However, a Facebook user noted the ease of other countries' ticketing systems, indicating a lack of need for ticket offices. Just been to Spain, it said. No ticket offices on trains or trams. No problems. Why do we need them? And the prices are about a third of what we pay. Another commenter sarcastically responded, Amazing. Now I cannot afford train tickets both in person and online. Others rejoiced with comments such as brilliant news and hooray. On the change of plans, Transport Secretary Mark Harper said, The consultation on ticket offices has now ended, with the government making clear to the rail industry throughout the process that any resulting proposals must meet a high threshold of serving passengers. The proposals that have resulted from this process do not meet the high thresholds set by ministers, and so the government has asked train operators to withdraw their proposals. We will continue our work to reform our railways with the expansion of contactless pay-as-you-go ticketing, making stations more accessible through our Access for All programme and £350 million funding through our Network North plan to improve accessibility at up to 100 stations. Right. Well, the cost of using the city's leisure centres is set to rise again, with the council announcing the latest hike in prices. Freedom Leisure, which runs Perdiswell Leisure Centre, Nunnery Woods Sports Complex and St John's Sports Centre, on behalf of Worcester City Council, has revealed its wish list for the coming 12 months, with a near-average rise of 5%. The price of a fitness class, including body pump, body balance and body combat, would rise by a further 5.6% from the current price of £7.20 to £7.60 from January. Other price increases would see the cost of using the council's swimming pools rise by 50 pence to £6 for adults and from £3 to £3.20 for juniors. The price of a swimming lesson <clears throat> would increase from £29 to £30.75 for a 30-minute lesson and from £32 to £32.99 for a 45-minute lesson. Annual memberships for access to all of the facilities at seven leisure centres in Worcestershire would increase from £984.50 to £1,017.50 for adults and the yearly fee for the use of the city's three council-owned leisure centres would set you back £763.10 from next year, rising by nearly £25 from £738.40. 
Monthly fees for a countrywide pass would increase from £89.50 to £92.50 for adults and from £67.10 to £69.40 for concessions. Monthly memberships for the city's leisure centres would rise from £81 to £83.50 for adults and to £62.60 for concessions. The council said the average rise of 4.6% for fees was less than the 6.7% inflation last reported in August. The proposals are set to be discussed by the City Council's Communities Committee at a meeting in the Guildhall on November the 8th. The hike in fees would bring in an estimated £146,000 more next year for the cash-strapped council, which is weary of a repeat of last year's taxpayer bailout. Last year, prices were raised by around an average of 9% to boost funds with struggling freedom leisure staring at rising bills to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds. Councillors already agreed at the start of the year to hand over £550,000, that's correct, yes, for energy efficient work at the city's leisure centres, as well as £315,000 to help Freedom Leisure pay its spiralling energy bills. The money to help pay the bills was eventually reduced to £125,000 following talks between Worcester City Council and Freedom Leisure, which said that energy costs were lower than predicted. The council also handed out £810,000 to support Freedom Leisure across the two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, including £410,000 refunded to the council by the government to help cover the cost of Freedom Leisure's missing management fee. So that was a lot of figures in that story, That's wasn't it? a lot it? of money. That's a lot that of money. Yes. Yeah. And this is about school holiday activities, a programme that helps children enjoy school holiday activities and experiences, has enjoyed a second successful year. Ready Steady Worcestershire provides enriching activities for children and young people in receipt of benefits-related free school meals. A second annual celebration was held at the Hive last Friday, October 27th, to highlight the incredible providers involved and the wide range of activities they offer to children across the county. During the summer alone, 68 providers delivered activities, creating 20,758 available places for eligible families. The event featured presentations from several providers, including Seven Arts, Comfy Kids, Active Discovery Camps and PAL Fitness, who shared their successes and future plans for the HAF programme. Councillor Steve Mackay, or Steve Mackay, depends, um, Cabinet Minister with responsibility for children and families at Worcestershire's County Council, said, I was delighted to have been invited to this year's HAF celebration. It was encouraging to hear feedback that 92% from a survey of 455 parents that the HAF programme is very important or important to their family. I would like to thank all the providers for their hard work to deliver such a diverse, inclusive and fun range of activities for children and young people to attend across the county.
The HAF programme, funded by the Department for Education, aims to produce enriching activities and nutritious meals during the Easter, summer and Christmas holidays to children who receive free school meals as well as other children and young people who may well benefit. You can find out more by visiting the Ready Steady Worcestershire pages on the County Council website or following HAF on facebook.com slash HAF Worcestershire. Building is to light up green for needy children. A Worcester building is set to light up green on the longest night of the year in support of the NSPCC. The charity calls on the public to rally friends and family to take part in the Walk for Children in Worcester. The Guildhall Worcester will be going green on the night of the December the 22nd. Now, time out. I must admit, I thought that December the 21st was the, sh- the longest night, but there it is. It is the 22nd in here. In support of the children's charity and the help it provides young people in their darkest hours. The NSPCC is calling on families and friends across the country to get together and sign up to walk five kilometres that night to raise vital funds for the charity and its childline service, which will have councillors on hand to answer life-changing calls throughout the festive period, including Christmas Day. Amanda Sinnott, NSPCC Community Fundraising Manager for Worcester, said... Our Childline service is expecting a child to contact them every 45 seconds this Christmas. And while it's free for them to contact the service over the phone or internet, every counselling session costs the charity about £4. For children facing abuse, the winter nights are dark, long and lonely, and we want all children to know that Childline is here for them, even on the darkest nights. We rely on public donations for around 90% of our funding and by joining us on December 22nd, you can help Childline answer more life-changing calls. It costs £10 to sign up for Walk for Children and participants are asked to try to raise £100. Visit www.nspcc.org.uk for further information. A plan on how to tackle the city's worrying levels of pollution will not be published for at least another 12 months. Worcester City Council has said an action plan on improving the city's air quality will not be in place until December 2024. The whole city was declared an air quality management area in 2019, but measures on how to cut the illegal levels of pollution, which should have been published as soon as possible, have still not been issued. The Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, known as DEFRA, wrote to Worcestershire Regulatory Services in May, saying the action plan for Worcester needed to be published, but the City Council was not informed until September. The Council said it was not made aware of the first warning from ministers in May and received a second warning in September. Worcester City Council has since been forced to ask for the deadline to be extended and an administrative oversight was blamed for the error. DEFRA said that the failure to publish the action plan by January 2024 could have resulted in the government stepping in to take action. The City Council was told by the government it had to publish an action plan on how it would improve the city's air quality, quote, within a reasonable timescale, unquote. The City Council said work on the action plan was significantly delayed during the COVID-19 pandemic, with the focus of most staff shifting towards dealing with the virus. 
Traffic surveys, which the council said were critical to developing a practical and meaningful response, were not finished until April 2022 to give a true reflection of the city's roads outside of lockdown when many were working from home. The Environment Act 2021 also shifted the responsibility of dealing with air pollution across local government and any relevant public bodies, meaning that Worcestershire County Council and not just Worcester City Council would now be responsible for drawing up policies on reducing pollution. In September, it was revealed that two historic city streets were exceeding the legal limit for harmful pollution. The butts topped the list of Worcester's contaminated streets, with the historic city centre thoroughfare regularly home to long traffic queues and congestion. The report, which details pollution levels at more than 30 locations across the city, shows that receptors placed outside Magdala Court in the butts registered an average of 43.9 micrograms per cubic metre of pollution in the air in 2022, higher than the legal limit of 40. That's 43.9 it was, and the limit was 40. Another receptor placed at the junction of Astwood Road and Rainbow Hill in Worcester also showed a worrying average, with its reading not far behind at 41.5 micrograms per cubic metre of air last year, meaning both are displaying illegal limits of pollution. The other locations to make the top 10 worst include two in the Tithing, Upper Tithing, Bridge Street, Fourgate Street, George Street, Lowersmore and All Saints Road. Mm. Well, there are apparently hundreds of city firms in distress. Hundreds of city companies are now classed as being in significant economic distress, according to a specialist business recovery company. The latest figures from Begbie's trainer Red Flag Alert, which monitors the financial health of UK companies, show 644 Worcester businesses at risk of economic failure. It represents a quarterly increase of 20.4% and an annual rise of 3%. Rising interest rates, debt, subdued consumer confidence, high energy costs and wider economic uncertainty are putting considerable financial pressure on businesses across the region. The figures also highlighted particular sector hotspots, with the support services and professional service sectors seeing quarterly increases of 40.2% and 40% respectively in a number of companies in significant financial distress. Mark Malone, partner at Begbie's Trainer in Worcester, said... This latest data highlights how the debt storm, which has been building for years but had been held off by several measures to provide breathing space for companies, is likely to break. Many businesses that had been gilled up for debt at historically low rates and were only able to survive during the pandemic thanks to government support must now deal with the financial reality check as higher interest rates hit working capital. Taken together with stubbornly high inflation and weak consumer confidence, many of these businesses will inevitably head towards failure. 
while stabilising inflation and interest rates could start to slow the rising levels of distress in the economy, history dictates that this will take some time and insolvencies often peak long after a recovery has started. Unfortunately, for many businesses, time is not on their side. Nationally, the latest red flag alert research for Q3 2023 recorded 478,176 businesses in significant distress, up 8.7% on the prior quarter, with almost 40,000 classed as being in critical financial distress. Now a story which shows how international affairs can find an echo in our city. Gaza anti-war protest. Hundreds of people gathered in Worcester city centre to call for a ceasefire in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Palestinian flags were in full force outside Worcester's Guild Hall as people and politicians gathered to protest yesterday afternoon. And by yesterday, I mean last Friday. The protest came amid growing concern over the ongoing conflict in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Crowds could be heard chanting Free Palestine and many attendees were holding placards and homemade signs. Councillor Jabba Riaz, Worcester City Councillor for Cathedral Ward and former Mayor of Worcester, was in attendance at the event today along with other local politicians. He said, This is a small peaceful gathering to recognise the plight of the Palestinian people and what is going on in the Gaza Strip at this very moment. This event is to recognise the loss of life on both sides and our heart goes out to the families, mothers, fathers and siblings of those who have lost loved ones. We are appealing for a complete ceasefire. Councillor Aladitta, Worcestershire County Councillor for Nunnery and former Mayor of Worcester, was also in attendance at the event. He said, The message here is to call for a ceasefire. Whichever side you're on, a ceasefire is needed and I'm here to give my support today. Other local politicians like Councillor Katie Collier, Councillor Hannah Cooper, Councillor Andrew Cross were all in attendance at the event and there was also an increased police presence in the city centre with more officers seen around the high street. A city eBay user has made more than a few quid after selling a well sought after £2 coin. There are among many people on the selling site trying to sell various coins for more than its face value. The commemorative 25 years of the £2, £2 coin was released in 2022 and marks the milestone anniversary of the £2 coin. A seller from Worcester sold the coin for £19.99, nearly 10 times its face value. Not only that, but the seller also supplied a free three-day postage on the item. The coin's condition was uncirculated and would come with its blue card. On the Royal Mint website, a spokesperson said, to mark the 25th anniversary of the bimetallic £2 coin and the iconic Bruce Russian design, a new commemorative edition has been struck. Bearing the year 1997, the reverse of the coin once again depicts Bruce Russian's technology design with the incorporation of a special latent feature that reveals the number 25 within the central cog. The obverse of the anniversary coin also pays tribute to Bruce Russian's contribution, featuring the addition of an Iron Age privy mark to the bottom of the portrait of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. 
This is a Mike Price um, story about a murderer who sang on and it didn't exactly take Sherlock Holmes to solve one of Worcester's most brutal crimes of the 20th century because the killer of a city publican, his wife and their baby son, convicted himself as soon as he opened his mouth. Remarkably, he was a local policeman and even more remarkably, he never showed any remorse and went to the gallows singing. It was early on the morning of November the 27th, 1925, when Herbert Burroughs, a 22-year-old police constable in the Worcester City Force, rushed up to a colleague on point duty on the cross and related a horror story. He told in some detail how a city innkeeper, his wife and child, had been murdered in the early hours. But the big trouble for Burroughs was that the horrific crime at the Garibaldi pub in Wiles Lane hadn't been reported or even discovered at the time. Burroughs had sealed his own fate and signed his own death warrant. He was the last Worcester murderer to go to the gallows. Burroughs was hanged at Gloucester Jail on February 17th, 1926. It seems from reports The condemned man met his death fearlessly and never at any time exhibited any remorse over his crime and was callous to the end. The Garibaldi murders are one of the events, both highlights and lowlights, featured in Worcester Civic Society's History and Heritage Calendar for the month of November over the centuries, and they contrast completely with the heroics of a man from the city slums On November 30th, 1917, 38-year-old Private Red Dancox of the Worcestershire Regiment, born in Dolday and a hay baler by trade, single-handedly captured an enemy machine gun blockhouse and in the process took 40 Germans prisoner during the Third Battle of Ypres in the First World War. The machine guns had been causing carnage amongst his colleagues, killing officers and men as they prepared to advance. But by running from shell hole to shell hole under heavy fire, he managed to get into the rear of a concrete pillbox and with grenade in hand, totally surprised the occupants. Completely trapped, they all promptly surrendered. Dan Cox was awarded the Victoria Cross for his actions, but there was a sad epitaph to his battlefield bravery. When news reached Worcester of his courageous actions, the city fathers organised a grand welcome home celebration. Large crowds gathered at Shrub Hill Station, waiting for the train bringing the soldiers home on leave from the front. But Private Dancox did not step from the carriages. The bunting came down, and the hordes of workmen, shop girls and well-wishers, who had waited all day, dispersed. Private Dancock's wife, who hadn't seen him for 12 months, returned home, wondering what had happened. She found out a few days later, when Barrow's Worcester Journal reported her husband had been killed three weeks after his heroic action on another part of the front at Cumbrae, and before he was able to receive his VC. His body was never found. Thank you, Jane. It's a moving story.
Next headline from Saturday's newspaper is £170 to park 31 seconds. A McDonald's customer was staggered to receive a £170 parking charge for just being 30 seconds over a time restriction at a retail car park. Ben Hammond was slapped with a charge he cannot pay after ordering food from Blackpool McDonald's on Sunday, September 24th at 2am. However, possible Royal Mail issues meant that he did not receive his first letter informing him of the charge, so he was shocked to open a letter last week telling him that the parking fine had been increased. He said a week after receiving this letter, he got another one from Debt Recovery UK, demanding he pays or face legal action. But the short notice has meant that he's struggling to find the £170 needed until his next payday. Mr Hammond said he has also appealed the decision, but is still awaiting a response from UK Parking Control. It is the working class people who were just trying to get food, that's who it's affecting, he said. Boy racers can do what they like in the 30 minutes and then leave. It does not feel great and it is really stressful, as I am not sure what to do if debt recovery wants to go to court because I can't afford it. There is still antisocial behaviour there and it is not stopping anything or helping local residents. We haven't been back since for this exact reason. He joked that his car is barely worth more than the £170 fine he's been landed with. UK Parking Control Limited is the parking management solutions provider for the retail park. Worcester News has asked him for a comment and is awaiting a response. A spokesperson from Legal and General Investment Management said restrictions were placed at the car park due to complaints from people living nearby. They said, Fines are received for staying in the car park for more than the 30-minute grace period between the hours of 9pm and 6am. These restrictions were implemented following complaints from local residents about noise and disruption during those hours. Several people have been subjected to charges since the new 30-minute restrictions were in place. One car meet-up group was charged eight times after ordering food from McDonald's. Right. Right, well, here's a trip down memory lane. Almost 31 years ago to the day, in early November 1992, Arwen Lockley, aged 10, presented a posy to the Duchess of Gloucester and Worcester's Crowngate Shopping Centre was opened. Certainly very different from the figure who'd opened the Blackfriars development, so named because it occupied the site of an ancient order of monks. That was Ken Dodd, the goofy comedian, in the summer of 1969. Despite its demise, old Brackfriars did have its fans. Former Worcester City Councillor Davis Barlow recalled, In 1969 I was working in marketing for Cadbury Cakes, which had its head office as well as its main bakery at Blackpool. I have a strong memory of the sales department, which wished to create a good impression with Priceright, hiring Bob Monkhouse to open the new Priceright on Blackfriars opening day. A fee of £1,500 is a figure which sticks in my mind. It was more than I earned in a year. Reader Richard Morris added, My first ever real memory of Worcester was watching the bulldozers and wrecking balls take down Blackfriars as a small child. While Helen Holm said, I remember my mum, Alison Holm, buying her tights from the lady at the denim stall in Blackfriars, and I remember buying a bag of Cindy accessories for 99p from the toy stand in the middle. Great memories. 
A revamp of Worcester's lower Broad Street retail area had long been on the cards. In early January 1966, the City Council's Town Planning Committee backed an application by Centrovincial Estates Limited to start the first stage of what was called a £4 million Broad Street redevelopment scheme. This duly materialised and changed the face of that part of Worcester forever. Among its gems was the Ages Past nightclub, with its prehistoric scenery and suitably dark and interior. An innovation for Worcester at the time, and a copy of Brum, if the truth be told, but sadly short-lived. However, Crowngate aimed to set the retail bar rather higher. For a start, it was almost twice the size of Blackfriars, covering Lower Broad Street and cutting across to include Bank Street, Bull Entry and Deansway. It comprised two areas, Friary Walk, which is basically the old Blackfriars, and Chapel Walk, a completely new section from Broad Street to Deansway. Together, they covered a third of the city centre. Including an archaeological dig, the work took around six years to complete and created the biggest disruption to daily life Worcester has ever seen. Bizarrely, one of the development's most popular features turned out to be its large undercover bus terminus, which was a mega improvement for passengers used to huddling out of the weather in Angel Place. When it was all over, the daily chaos was soon forgiven and forgotten, and crowds packed the malls at its opening. And students' support for greater sort-out, this says... And Worcestershire's homeless charity, Mag's Day Centre, welcomes students from the University of Worcester's criminology course to aid in their clothing project's seasonal sort-out. Students took to organising the entire project, from stocking the clothing project's pantry to removing the summer donations to their winter donations, to aid in the charity's effects or the charity's efforts in creating a shop-like atmosphere. Steph Mayton, volunteer coordinator at Mag's Set Day Centre, said, We're delighted to welcome students from Worcester University for the volunteering day. The clothing project received so many generous donations from the public and it was vital that Mag's had a grand seasonal sort-out to clear the space taken up by summer clothes, sift items which we can sell and reorganise stock onto our new clothing racks, which were purchased with money raised by one of our volunteers. We had a very productive day, and the students worked so hard. We achieved so much more than we had anticipated possible. There's already talk of what the next project will be. As part of their course, the students were able to talk to staff and learn about the service that the charity provides, but also the nature of the sector that's closely linked to their course. Amy Johnson, senior lecturer of criminology, said, In a time when we're all glued to our phones and social media grips our attention, it was nice to put the phones down and help support mags with their clothing project reshuffle. It was fabulous as a lecturer to see my students connecting and enjoying giving up some of their time to do good. With some reporting, it boosted their mental well-being. Such activities help increase students' confidence and give them a small exposure to what it's like to work in such organisations and the challenges many in our society face. 
We're all looking forward to working with Mag's Day Centre on other projects to bring about change for a very vulnerable group in our society. Mag's works throughout Worcestershire and hosts two day centres in Worcester and Malvern, alongside four properties through the accommodation project, which temporarily houses rough sleepers and provides them with tailored support to further their journey. The charity also has several specialist teams that work with service users alongside our outreach team, including an intensive transition support team for complex needs and harm reduction. In addition, MAGS boasts support workers who work in the day centres to support service users and volunteers, which the charity relies on to maintain its high service levels. Mags are also seeking storage pace for our spare stock, as they have very little space, and what they have, they want to use for relevant stock. So if anyone can donate their space and would be happy to allow us to use it, please get in touch. For more information, please visit www.magsdaycentre.co.uk Thank you, Jane. Our next story is another look at Mag's um, charity from the point of view of someone who's called upon it for support. Aid saved homeless man, it's headed. A homeless man who went from wealthy to poor said he would be six foot under if it weren't for two city charities. Peter Richardson, a retired farmer originally from Redditch, came to Worcester seven weeks ago and has been utilising the services of several Worcester organisations. He praised organisations like Mag's Day Centre and Worcester Food Bank for saving his life. He said, I have been on both ends of the spectrum, very wealthy and very poor. I went through a bad spell after a divorce with alcohol issues that led me to some really dark places. I came to Worcester about seven weeks ago as the place I was staying at Redditch was not suitable for me anymore and I was recommended to visit Mag's Day Centre. They honestly saved my life. They gave me food and safety and referred me to other fantastic organisations like the Worcester Food Bank. Mr Richardson said his journey has been incredibly hard and complicated, with health issues also making things difficult. Over the summer, he said, I was in and out of Worcestershire Royal Hospital with a bad knee, and I am still suffering from septic arthritis now. It has been incredibly hard and painful, but the hardest thing is being on your own. Everyone needs help sometimes. A lot of people may not know just how bad things are for some people, and this winter is going to be harsh. If I can share this story and help someone reading it in a tough situation, I will be very happy. Graham Lucas, manager of Worcester Food Bank, said, It's wonderful to hear he wishes to honour the amazing work and support he has received from both us at Food Bank and also from Mags. Life is fraught for us as demand has risen dramatically, up about 40% on last year. Running the food bank has become even more stressful in recent months. We are in the process of implementing our winter plan, which is designed to ensure that we can continue to serve those in crisis. Right. A speeding motorway driver blamed the announcement of the Queen's death for his offence. Andrew Peters said he was distracted after hearing the news on the radio and pleaded with magistrates not to be given a driving ban, despite already having nine points on his licence. The 63-year-old made a 12-hour round trip from his home in Oxford Terrace, Edinburgh, to appear at Worcester Magistrates Court last Friday afternoon. 
At the start of the hearing, the court clerk told magistrates Peters had been caught speeding on the M5 between Junction 6 and 5 northbound on September the 8th last year. Magistrates heard a variable speed limit of 60 miles per hour was in force on that stretch of road at the time, but Peters had been clocked travelling at a speed of 68 miles per hour. In the witness box, Peters attempted to argue there were special reasons, a legal defence that there are exceptional circumstances that led to you committing the offence which meant magistrates should not give him points. The additional points would make him a 12-point totter, which leads to an inevitable ban. Peters told the court the offence had been committed at 6.45 that evening. The date is significant, he said. At 6.30, it's a matter of public record, the Queen's death was announced on the radio. I was upset, I was distracted, and I missed the speed limit sign. I was born in the 1960s. The Queen was part of my life. Peters added he knew he had nine points on his licence and had been careful with his speed prior to that moment. The magistrates retired and returning ten minutes later, they gave Peters the three points. Peters returned to the witness box to further argue exceptional hardship, where you put forward a case that a ban would cause you or others dependent on you significant hardship. After another short discussion, the chairman announced Peters would be banned for six months, saying they'd not found exceptional hardship in his case. If you drive whilst disqualified, you could be sent to custody, the chairman warned. Peters was fined £384 and ordered to pay victim surcharge of £154. He was given 28 days to pay the total of £538. Well, this man was caught burgling on his birthday. A man celebrated a milestone birthday by burgling a city home and stealing £1,000. Stephen Henderson even met the homeowner and tried to claim he'd found his items in the street. Worcester Magistrates Court heard Henderson committed the burglary in Team Road, Worcester, on July the 27th this year, the day of his 40th birthday. Owen Beale said the victim returned home at 5.20 to be met by a man who said he'd found his wallet and bank card in the street. The prosecutor said the homeowner spoke to the defendant for a couple of minutes before going into the property to find it ransacked with his living room and bedroom turned over. Magistrates heard the front door to the property had been closed but unlocked at the time of the crime. Mr Beale said among the items stolen were car keys and bank cards and £1,000 in cash. Henderson used the, the homeowner's stolen rucksack to carry the items out. He, the victim, checked the CCTV and saw the same man he met at the door coming up to his property at 3.20pm, the prosecutor said. In interview, he, Henderson, accepted he was guilty but could not explain why he had committed the offence. Henderson, who had previous convictions, including for carrying a bladed article, admitted the offence of burglary, burgling, burgling a dwelling, and theft and no violence. Barry Newton, defending, said it was committed on impulse. It was his 40th birthday. He suffers from bipolar. He'd stopped taking his medication and had been drinking on the day. 
The solicitor said Hendelson's mental health explained his bizarre actions, including taking and returning stolen items to the victim. Mr Newton added, Henderson was now taking his medication and highlighted the probation service had assessed him of having a low risk of reoffending. Elaine Bell, chairperson of the magistrate's bench, said it goes without saying this was a very serious crime. The chairperson said that a victim having to find somebody had been in their home stealing was deplorable. The defendant was given an 18-month community order with requirement to complete 35 rehabilitation activity days. Henderson, Whittington Road, Worcester, was fined £50 and ordered to pay £1,000 in compensation. And there's a picture of the top of him smiling gently as he leaves the court. One of the features in the Worcester News is... um, a feature whereby they, they tell you what happened on this day various parts of history. So I thought I might take one and give you a flavour of what it's like. So it's November the 7th, uh, and in 1783 on November the 7th was the last public hanging in England. A morbid start, isn't it? Which took place at Tyburn, which is now Marble Arch in London, where a forger was the last to die, a man called John Austin. In 1867, scientific genius Marie Curie was born in Warsaw. She and her husband Pierre shared a Nobel Prize for Physics in 1903, and she was awarded a second prize in 1911 for her discovery of radium. In 1872, the Marie Celeste, the famous ill-fated ship, sailed from New York and was found mysteriously abandoned near the Azores sometime later. In 1885, a golden spike was driven into the track at Craigalachie in British Columbia to complete the Canadian Pacific Railway after four and a half years' work. In 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, led by Lenin, overthrew Prime Minister Alexander Kerensky's government. That's the so-called October Revolution, which happened in November, but that's a long story. 1935, Australian pilot Sir Charles Kingsford Smith flew over Calcutta on a flight from England and was never seen again. In 1967, Henry Cooper beat Billy Walker and became the first and only boxer to win three Lonsdale belts outright. In 1980, actor Steve McQueen died. And in 1990, lastly, Mary Robinson was elected as the first woman president of the Irish Republic. Thank you for that. Right, well... If anybody's got a very large garage, here's, here's a plea for help. The boat needs winter home. A winter home is needed for a boat which provides popular trips across the River Severn in Worcester. The 60-year-old cathedral ferry boat, affectionately named Doris, is looking for a new home for the winter months. Doris was providing trips every Sunday and Bank Holiday Monday afternoon throughout the summer, costing just 50 pence for a trip. For many years, the boat has been housed over winter in a large industrial estate wherever space was available, often moving several times during season. This arrangement has now ended, as the former premises are due to be redeveloped, so a new location is needed as soon as possible. Mark Glossop of Cathedral Ferry said the boat does not necessarily need to be housed in Worcester. He said, 
the new winter home can be anywhere in Worcester or up to around three miles away. It really doesn't matter, but we just need somewhere new. The benefit of the previous location was that we could take the boat from the River Severn up the canal, but the new space doesn't particularly need to be nearby. We can get the boat out and tow it to wherever it needs to go. The new home needs to be somewhere under cover and around 25 feet long and 15 feet wide with good access and power so that the team can work on it during the winter. Work will involve scraping, repainting and repairing the woodwork of the boat. Just to recap, the boat has been in Worcester since 1983 when the ferry service was reopened after 25 years and it's run entirely by volunteers and it's raised over £20,000 for Worcestershire charities. Doris was unable to operate during the pandemic but returned to service in 2022. Three new volunteers were recruited and trained in 2023 and a full team is ready for the new season in 2024. Anyone who knows of any space which might be suitable can contact Mark Glossop by calling 01905 333265 or by emailing mb-glossop at gmail.com. And this is for a Christmas toys appeal. For children in Worcestershire hospitals over the festival period or the festive period has been launched with organisers appealing for gifts. Mandy Griffiths, a single mother from Kidderminster, has been running a Christmas toys appeal for the last few years, collecting donations from across the county for children in hospital. This year is no exception, but Miss Griffiths said she needs some additional support from Worcester residents, especially finding a place where donations can be dropped off. She said, I've been doing this for a while now and I absolutely love it, but we're really in need of a donation centre in Worcester. We collect donations from all over and although I'm able to collect where I can, alongside other volunteers, if we had a station here in Worcester, it would be a great help. It would be ideally just need to be a place where the gifts could be stored until we can collect them, ready to be taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. In the past, Miss Griffiths and the volunteers have collected a lot of second-hand gifts, but due to COVID still being a factor, they're looking for new toys. She said, we've been told that it can be new toys and gifts only this year to minimise the potential risk of spreading germs. Obviously, it makes it a bit tougher with the ongoing cost of living crisis, but if anyone is in a position to contribute, it can really make a lovely difference. We're collecting healthy and beauty gifts for parents on the wards as well as what, as well as well um, who are there with their children. Miss Griffiths also thanked everyone who's made the toy appeal possible over the years for their support. And she said, to all of my helpers and the community that have contributed so far, thank you so much. If anyone is in a position to help, be a donation station in Worcester, please do get in touch with me. People willing to help can contact Mandy Griffiths to arrange a donation or to help by calling 07497 204 838 or by emailing her at mandygriffiths60 at gmail.com. OK, Monday's newspaper, short story about what's happening out at Croom Court. A National Trust property in Worcestershire has announced the creation of a bird sculpture trail for the winter. 
Talented artist Amrit Singh is collaborating with National Trust, Croom Court, Seven Stoke, near Worcester, to create a family sculpture trail. The artist will be working with local community groups and schools to decorate seven large fiberglass bird sculptures, which will create the Christmas sculpture trail called the Seven Birds of Croom. Each bird will be placed in various locations across the grounds for visitors to discover. Mr Singh worked on the charity fundraiser Worcester's Big Parade when the elephants were positioned across the city. Among the groups he'll be working with are Worcester Carers, Hanley Castle School, the Girl Guides and Pershaw Riverside Centre. Mr Singh said, I'm really looking forward to working with the team at Croom and the seven groups on this fantastic creation project. A spokesperson for the Monday Night Club, another of the uh, groups involved, said, We're delighted to be part of the Seven Birds of Croom project a place at Croom, a place we know and love. As a group of adults with learning disabilities and autism, we're thrilled to share our creativity and add our unique feathers to this vibrant art project. Together we will soar to new heights and create lasting memories. Janine McGraugrin Creative producer at National Trust South Worcestershire added, Following an extremely popular artist open call, we appointed Mr Singh to work collaboratively with seven local groups. Our aim has been to encourage these groups to tell us what inspires and excites them about Croom and to bring this to life on the bird sculptures that can be found across our parkland. Christmas at Croom takes place between November 25th and January the 5th and the National Trust property is open every day apart from Christmas Eve. OK, we're going to move on to sport now. A bit of a lucky dip as ever, but I hope you find something to take your interest. And we'll start with Catherine. Right, well, this story has got the title Woodchop Star. A man from Worcestershire will this weekend be hoping to chop his way to glory as part of the Team GB squad at the Timber Sports World Championships. Rob Chatley from Tembury Wells and his teammates will take to the global stage in Stuttgart, Germany this weekend to compete with the best teams on the planet. Led by team captain and British pro champion Glenn Penlington, the British team are aiming to improve on last year's seventh-placed finish as they pitch themselves against the global elites of Australia, the Chopperoos, New Zealand, USA and Canada. It's an honour and a privilege to be here and represent Team GB, but we've all earned the right to be here, so it's exciting times ahead, said Chatley, who's 39, ahead of the competition. It's in Stuttgart, the home of steel. The whole event is a big light show. It's like a rock concert in the arena and it's just a phenomenal show to be part of. Wood chopping consists of several wood chopping disciplines where participants use saws and axes. It's an extreme high octane sport with a growing global audience. There's a huge amount of strength involved. Of course there is. But there's so much technique in it, it's not all brute force, he added. I've been chopping now for 26 years, so there's a lot of knowledge to come with the sport. It's not just about getting on a log and chopping it with an axe. It's an adrenaline sport, and it's very physically demanding, but you can be a giant of a man or a slight fit freak and be just as effective. Chatley was the British pro champion way back in 2014 and he finished runner-up in this year's British Championship but will this time be competing with his teammates in Stuttgart on the world stage. As far as Team GB's chances goes, he says, 
we would have to have a really, really good time. And those around us would have to do really quite bad for us to sneak into the medals. We might get one, but we're up against the best guys in the world who have this sport in their DNA. We're a bit behind the top guys. But saying that, there is no reason why we could not come out on top in Europe and be top three in Europe. Well, the sky's the limit for the current City squad. Worcester City have made an incredible start to the 2023-4 season. And the feeling amongst fans and the wider non-league community is that the sky's the limit. After 14 matches in the Hellenic League Premier 12, wins has Chris Corn's men three points clear of second-place Caution, with two games in hand. They enter the second round of the Isuzu FA Vars and Wiseman Lightning Floodlit Cup. How about that? And will also get their Worcestershire Senior Cup campaign underway next week. They're firing on all cylinders and they're closing in on the 46-year-old record set in back in 1976-77 campaign of 12 straight league victories. Being a club of City's size, they're very much in the spotlight, but Corns knows how quickly things can change. All we speak about is the start and end of the month and winning as many games as we can, not looking too far ahead, he said. Hopefully, we can chalk off another win this Saturday versus Mangotsfield at Clanes Lane, but we won't look any further than that. Will things change in a month or two if we carry this current form on? Maybe. But at the minute, no one is getting carried away. We keep taking each game as it comes. There's no chatter amongst the lads about winning leagues or cups. It's probably in the back of their heads, but I think as coaching group, we're doing well to contain that. But we're doing really well, so it'd be stupid if the players weren't having those thoughts about titles and cups in the backs of their heads. But football can change very quickly, so we have to stay grounded. When the new majority shareholder, Simon Lancaster, took over the club back in May, City's supporters hoped that this season would begin a new era for the football club. And following a summer overhaul of players, Corn's sides have gone from strength to strength and now morale is high both on and off the pitch, with supporters daring to dream of promotions and trophies. Corns admits that it's still a long way off at this stage, but after the start they've made, he can sense something special is happening with this current group of players. Looking in from the outside and, and the changing room, fans, the board members, people in the wider public, neutrals, people around the country in non-league, they will look at us and think, ah, we see the start they've made and think, yes, the sky probably is the limit, the boss added. We've such a good squad and everyone is so together and the dressing room is probably one of the best I've been in in both my playing career and manager career. It's a huge credit to us that what we've built is a group. And then with the fans behind us as well, they've been brilliant. So it's all going so well at the moment, but we know how quickly it can change. You're in football to win. And of course, we want to win everything possible. But... We'll keep taking it game by game. There may be a point in a few months' time when we can start talking about silverware, but we're nowhere near that just yet. 
City will be hoping to go within one win of matching the longest winning run in the club's history when Mangotsfield come to town on Saturday, the 3pm kickoff. Such excitement. Mm. Now then, a story about what's happening at Worcester Warriors, or a little bit of an insight anyway. Trust seeks supporters to help save Warriors. The Worcester Warriors Supporters Trust is now accepting members to join it in the fight to bring rugby back to six ways. As it stands, both the Warriors men's and women's team are no longer active following the club going into administration back in September 2022. The Trust was formally formally recognised as a community benefit society by the Financial Conduct Authority in August and now it's ready to take members on board. A spokesperson said... We realise there isn't a great deal to buy into currently with both the men's and women's teams inactive. It's clear, however, that there is a huge amount of passion for the club out there still, both in Worcestershire and afar. We do believe that supporters' trust will be integral in restarting rugby under the Warriors' name at Six Ways. There's a determination to succeed in our aims and objectives, but we certainly need the backing of rugby fans near and far, as well as anyone who champions the little guy, if we're to do so. Membership for adults starts at £20 a year, and this gives the right to vote at WWST meetings and elections and to stand for board membership. There are higher price tiers for those who feel they can donate a little more money. Young people under 16 are also invited to join for just £5 a year. Voting rights can't be granted for this age group, but they, like adult members, will have access to a members forum and to a members area on the website. Cricket now. Jones can't wait for the 2024 season. New Worcestershire signing, Rob Jones, is already looking forward to the 2024 season, only a couple of months after his successful loan spell with the county. Jones made a big impact when on loan from Lancashire to Worcestershire for the Metro Bank One Day Cup during August, having agreed to a permanent move for 2024 in July of this year. The number three batter was the Rapids' second-highest scorer in the tournament, with 366 runs behind one-day cup captain Jake Libby with 397. A memorable century against Northamptonshire at Wantage Road was followed by 53 versus Derbyshire and 67 in the narrow quarter-final defeat by Hampshire at the Agius Bowl. Having had a taste of what was to come, Jones is now hungry for success at New Road next season. I can't wait to get going, he said. I absolutely loved being with Worcestershire for the one-day cup. It was absolute class and the lads were great. I did all right, scored some runs and helped the club get to the quarterfinals. And we went so close to winning that game. And this trio is off to Japan. Three University of Worcester students are heading off to Japan to represent Great Britain at an international wheelchair basketball tournament. Abs Tagrest, Jack Long and Daniel McLaughlin have all been selected for the under-30 squad competing in the 20th Kitakyushu Champions Cup that starts next week, November 10th to November 12th. The annual competition this year involves the GP, oh, sorry, the GB under 30 squad competing against senior teams from Japan and South Korea. Tagrest, who is studying sport and exercise stu- 
science represented England at the Commonwealth Games last year, finishing with a bronze medal. The thing I'm looking forward to the most would have to be just putting on the GB vest again. It's an amazing feeling, as well as any chance to cement my place further within the senior squad, he said. My ultimate ambition is to play in the next three Paralympic Games, as well as be a mainstay in the GB senior squad for many cycles. Long, also in the second year of his sport and exercise science degree, added, it's a great honour to have been given the opportunity to represent my country. I think I'm most looking forward to competing against world-class talent. The 19-year-old from Bristol has been playing for nine years and previously played in a friendly tournament for Great Britain under-22's team. His long-term goal is also competing in the Paralympic Games. First-year physical education and sports coaching students, McLaughlin, moved to Worcester from Kilmarnock in Scotland to continue and further develop his journey with wheelchair basketball at the university. The 18-year-old has represented Scotland since he was in the under-14s and first represented GB at an under-22s tournament last month. He was named British Wheelchair Basketball's Junior League Player of the Year for 22-23 and was invited to join the British training camps over the summer. Thank you, Jane. We'll end with your permission on some more cricket. Finch looks ahead, fast bowler relishing prospect of 2024. Adam Finch is looking forward to next year after making big strides as a bowler in 2023. The pace bowler missed the end of the season through injury, but topped the Worcestershire bowling averages of players who formed a regular part of the attack with 28 wickets at 25.71. In other words, that's how many runs each of his wickets cost. Finch returned the first two fivers for his career and had the best strike rate with a wicket every 37.4 deliveries. They love statistics in cricket. His final appearance of the season saw him play a key role with seven wickets in the crucial county championship win over Gloucestershire at Cheltenham before being sidelined with a back injury. He said, I was really frustrated not to be able to finish the season on the pitch, but overall really pleased with how the year has gone. It is one I can hopefully learn from and build upon and try to improve on and keep figuring out ways to try and make an impact for the team. Fond memories. I think my game awareness has improved in terms of understanding situations, maybe just as a product of having been in a couple of those situations before. I'm really grateful for the experiences I had this summer, and it's nice to see the things I worked on with Alan Richardson, who's the coach, and Richard Jones, who's another coach, coming to fruition. Finch has been making good progress after being laid low at Cheltenham. That is our sport for this week. And what I am going to do now is read for you the thought for the day. And it comes from Matthew, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And it runs like this. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Okay, now then, sunrise and sunset times. Sunrise will be at 7.18 and sunset will be at 4.27 
And now I'm going to ask Catherine to read out the birthdays. Well, there are three birthdays this coming week or so. Um, on the 13th, it's Sally Bodie's birthday. And there are two on the 15th of November, Brenda West and Mary Hipkiss. And a many happy returns of the day to all three of you. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank this afternoon's readers, Catherine and Jane, and to our production team for all their efforts and to wish you a good week ahead. So it's bye from me too. Goodbye. And here are this week's obituaries. Christopher Edward Orford, known as Chris, died suddenly on October the 26th. His funeral will take place on the 15th of November at 12pm at the Vale Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. Donations to Pershaw Stroke Unit can be left at the crematorium or sent to Worcester Funeral Service, Kilbury Drive, WR5 2NE. Jim Davis passed away on the 2nd of November. His funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 16th of November at 10.45. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Dementia UK, and these may be left at the crematorium on the day or given care of the family. Terry Plant passed away on October the 5th. A private cremation celebration of life at Worcester Cathedral on November the 13th at 11am, and it says all welcome. Leslie Smith passed away on 22nd of October. Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 16th of November at 1.45. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Kidney Research UK may be left at the service. And Pat Tunstall, who passed away on the 20th of October, has a funeral service at Worcester Crematorium also on Thursday at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, can be made to cancer research or motor neurone disease or placed in the donation box. All inquiries to AV Band, St John's, Worcester. Telephone 01905 947 272.